0: This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by VODAGOGO, the award winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training Four Years in a Row. Visit slash Start for a free Getting Started in Voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's slash Start.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 138 of Inside Acting. My name is Trevor Elgott.
0: And I'm AJ Meyer.
1: And on this podcast, we interview actors, writers, directors, filmmakers, producers, agents, managers, personal finance and fitness gurus, voiceover actors, dancers, uh, lyricists, aerialists, aerialists, P90X uh, cast members. And uh, we stick it on his podcast and uh, put it out there in the worldwide interwebs for your listening pleasure.
0: Yes. And, uh, of course, we are just two dudes with a podcast, which means that we are two dudes who record a podcast. Anyway, what that means is that we are more interested in creating a community, a movement, a communication, not only with our listeners, but with actors the world over To find out, not necessarily what is the best path, but what works what doesn't work for individuals, actors, artists, all over the world. And um, we do that by collecting your thoughts and input. So please, get in touch with the podcast. You can find out all the ways to do that at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. Beautiful. Well
1: done, man well
0: done Thank you, sir.
1: <laughs> and on this episode we have part one of our chat with Drea Weber who is gosh what is she not she's an actor, she's a writer, she's a producer uh, I think she's even done some directing um, she's an aerialist she does a lot of stage, burlesque, improv work in the P90X videos 1, 2, and 3 uh, and just was amazing to sit down and talk to so make sure you guys stick around for part one of that What's up, Trevenator? What's going on, man? Hey, con- happy opening! C- congratulations on your opening.
0: I I have to admit, I thought about you. I said that like it's a bad thing. I thought about you because there was a step and repeat at the opening. Meaning, uh, for those of you who don't know what a step and repeat is, it's uh, you know where like the red carpet where they put repeating logos behind you and you take a picture and step, take a picture and step. Great for, and great for your IMDb profile. There was, at the end of the step and repeat, a two-man camera crew. A guy behind a camera with a big light and a guy holding a microphone. And I, I was interviewed. Oh my goodness, this is exactly what Trevor and I were doing just a few months ago yeah. back in L.A. for the Center Theater Group. So it was... That was that was my that was definitely my Trevor Algat moment of the night. That is like, so oh, cool, man, buddy.
1: Yeah. So buddy yeah, for for I listeners who don't you. for <laughs> for listeners who don't know, AJ and I used to do that that thing. I would I would hold the camera and he would be the interview guy, and we'd go to like openings at the taper or the Amundsen and something, and we'd literally be at a step and repeat interviewing actors and celebrities as they as they went through. So
0: it was interesting. That so, is so cool. So yeah, man, opening night was. That was a trip. It was a trip, and I, I, I really, I didn't go crazy. I didn't like drink my face off at the party and, you know, go nuts. I just kind of relaxed and took it easy and just enjoyed the moment. And it was, it was pretty special, pretty cool to just be on that side and and take it all in and, and enjoy it. I guess. I would awesome. Say.
1: Very cool, man. Very cool. What else? Uh, I mean, since that's opened, now you guys are starting to settle into a little bit of a routine. Um, Anything else kind of opening up in your life now that you've got a little more of a regular
0: thing going? Well, a lot of us gave ourselves this first week to be lazy. Jasmine and I are like sleeping in every single day, relaxing at home and not really doing too much, taking care of sort of administrative things that we haven't done Or I haven't done, rather, in a while. So if I can handle it at home on a computer or whatever, obviously that's not taking up a lot of energy. So just allowing that to kind of be my MO for the week has been really nice. As I've been saying, not only in the podcast, but on the dispatch emails that I've been writing, I've been saying lately... I'm learning a ton about New York and New York theater and the New York market, and one of the things I learned is that you never stop rehearsing. They can rehearse you four hours a day for up to three days a week. Our stage manager is being really cool and only rehearsing us two days a week, and he eventually wants to wean us down to one day a week. Little cleanups and stuff, because, for instance, the dance captain will leave the show once every like three weeks or something, to watch the show and take notes and give us like little cleanup notes and that kind of thing. So it's not just for cleanups, but it's also for what you know what they call put-ins, which for anyone who's done theater before is pretty obvious. It's just that the understudies get a, ch- a chance to go in and play the role that they're understudying for a rehearsal. We literally do an entire run-through of. The show with that understudy in that un- the role that they're understudying. I went into the stage manager's <clears throat> office and after doing this podcast and learning about the power of vulnerability and everything, I, I I I have no problems whatsoever looking stupid, quote unquote, what some people might consider looking stupid. Just went into his office and. I told him point blank, I said, I'm about to ask you a bunch of what may sound like newbie questions. You know, everybody's really nice. He's really nice. The ASM is really, everybody's so nice. Even the producers and, and the creative team, they'll answer any question that you have. So I just fired away. I was like, what do rehearsals look like? What do understudy rehearsals look like? How did this, da 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 da, da? And he said the words, oh, you never stop rehearsing. And that really kind of blew my mind. The only the only other eight show run that I've done was of Mikes and men. We didn't rehearse after we opened.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, we've worked at the you and I have worked at the Douglas for many years, and you know, I'm I'm familiar with shows at the Amazon and the Taper, and I'm back and forth between there a lot. And I don't think I've ever heard of or seen a show come in where after they opened, they did rehearsals during the day, with the, with the one exception of this musical that was just at the Douglas. It was Fifty Shades of Grey, the musical, uh-huh. and uh, it was hilarious. And, and they're like a touring, it's like a touring uh, show, and they did rehearsals pretty regularly. But that was the first time I'd seen that.
0: And the only difference I can see is that a limited run in those instances, like where, what we see, is either a tour or a limited run, whereas here it's open-ended. Oh, right, right. So, and, and and because it's open-ended, there's a sort of a, a necessity to make sure that the understudies get an opportunity to go on for the roles that they're covering because it's not just if someone gets hurt or sick, it's if someone needs a day off, takes a vacation, goes home for a day to see family, whatever it is, because it's like a real job right? where you accrue vacation hours and the schedule is eight shows a week instead of you know 40 hours a week or or what have you so it's just another one of those little interesting things that you know someone who listens to our podcast from the new york market might be oh yeah of course it might be old hat to them but it's completely new new information to me
1: well i'm glad you're taking some time to recharge
0: yeah next week hitting the gym uh getting back to uh getting back to that routine awesome i'm um, I'm jealous cuz right now Jasmine's literally behind me making protein shakes and about to um toots jelly.
1: Let's see. We got a bunch of questions. Not even questions, so much as just a few comments as well. And I think we've got one, questions, two, questions, th- voicemails, emails, and a yeah. patron of the week. I've got uh, wow.
0: Oh, super loud
1: truck. That totally sounded like a huge mechanical fart. And there it is again.
0: It, seriously, I think it just set off a car alarm. It
1: did. So, um <laughs> so yeah, we've got we uh, a different part of the apartment. We got one, two, three, four, five email, slash voicemail, slash comments. I thought we'd jump into it right away with Alicia's voicemail.
2: Hi, guys. I wanted to call real quick before I forgot. Um, And this is really dated, but Trevor, I finally watched Donor, and it's fantastic. I thought you did such a great job. It's so subtle and so well done. It's just very real and natural and subtle, so it's very dated. But congratulations on getting it out there and available for people to see. And that's it.
1: I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. That's so awesome. Thank you so much, Alicia. It's really, really good to hear that. Really terrifying to, um, you know, put something together and put it out there because it got to the point where I didn't know if it was going to suck or not. I-, I didn't know if it was good anymore or not, you know, and obviously we had massive input and creative direction from Mark and Mike, our editor, and Carolina, our producer. So um, it was definitely a, t- a team effort. In fact, I would, I would. Transfer most of the um, kind of credit onto their plate for the actual film happening. At the end, that was really just a writer and an actor. Um, but I'm so glad that uh, that you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for taking the time to check it out and for calling in to to let us know. Sweet. So next we have a question from Charlie, and I'll just go ahead and field this one because um, I'm kind of on the technical side of the show. Uh, he says on iTunes, he sees episodes 38 to the present available, but has been unable to locate all of the earlier episodes. Is there anywhere that he can access them? And we got this email a few episodes ago, uh, a similar email, a few episodes ago, and I looked into our server, our account, and there's no, there's no button or checkbox or anything that, that says that only 99 episodes are allowed to be on the feed. Um, I double-checked that all the episodes were still uploaded and available, and they are. So as far as I'm aware, you can still hop onto the website and stream them. Um, they, sh- I mean, they're still on the server and available, so uh, that should be the case. But uh, we're working on a solution to create a kind of win-win for everybody uh, much more reliably so that this kind of thing doesn't pop up and that uh, everybody kind of... Kind of gets uh, the best of all possible worlds. So, thank you, Charlie, for writing in. Um, that's the status at the moment, but stay tuned, um, and hopefully, uh, you can still stream them from the website.
0: All right, cool. So, got an email from Charles. It's uh, a bit of the classic. You know, I'm moving to LA soon. Says that he's moving to LA this summer. He said, you know, his goal is to really hit the ground running. So. What are some things he can do now, before he moves, to make that happen? Are there a few agencies you would suggest I look into? He says, obviously not any of the big ones, although don't you know count yourself out there, Charles. Just wanted to know uh, any boutique or mid-level ones you would submit to if you're just moving out. I want an agency that would get me out on TV auditions. It's kind of a two-part question. One is, like, what can he do now to make things to, to support him in hitting the ground running. And then the second one is, you know, asking about, about agencies that the, the second question, I think for me, Trevor, I don't know if you want to chime in here. It seems kind of a, a, it's a challenging question to answer because so, because representation is such a specific thing to a specific person. It's like, sure. We could run down a list of, uh, mid-level or develop what they call developmental agencies. But if you don't vibe with the people that work there, it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. if you don't, if you don't get along with them, if you don't see eye to eye, if they don't see, if they don't have the same vision for your career that you do, there's really no, you know, it doesn't make any, uh, any sense to, to work with that, that person or that agency. So I think that that's really the important things. If you end up, getting meetings or, or, or doing some kind of showcase that, that allows you to meet agencies or whatever, what have you just be sure that you vibe with that person. It's a very specific relationship, but it is a relationship at at its core. And that's, that's, that's the important thing. There are a lot of resources in terms of finding who, Eight, you know, agencies are. I would start with something like IMDb Pro, or do people still use Ross reports?
1: I was gonna talk about that. I don't remember. I mean, the last time I even th- said the word Ross report, I think was before I even moved to LA, and that was like ten years ago. And even then, it was kind of like a
0: throwing noodles at the wall to see what sticks kind of deal. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know that it's that it's used quite often. So maybe some of our listeners can. Chime in on this subject in terms of where they find agency contact information. There used to be these really great books that I would sort of pimp out when I was doing my digital actor workshop that you could get from Samuel French. And turns out they still have them in New York, lucky me, but they really don't do them so much anymore um, in Los Angeles. And they were. Agency directories, manager directories, and casting director directories. And they yeah. still do the casting director directories. But the agent-manager ones have kind of gone the way of the dodo for some yeah. strange reason. I guess the internet is the strange reason. Yeah,
1: yeah, and the casting director directories, I mean, just just sign up for castingabout.com. It's 40 bucks a year, so it's very uh, inexpensive. And um, casting directors change offices and jobs so much as the shows get canceled or the shows move. And so if you buy an actual hard copy of something, it's going to be outdated in like three days. wouldn't even bother with that. I'd just go to casting about. Uh, I'm so glad that you spoke into the working relationship you have with your representation, because that is, that cannot be underestimated. Brian Vermeer says it, you know, over and over in his interview, this is a relationship business. And I remember when I first got to LA, I was talking to this guy named Scott Glosserman, who was like a friend of a friend kind of deal. And I was asking him about, you know, representation. I didn't know a thing about this world. And he said, uh, or I met with somebody and I I said, I was asking about signing the contract and whatnot. And he said, he said, well, why don't you just tell them, you you, you know, you'd like to work with them, but you just want to see how it works out for, for a little while. So just, you know, you'll try it out. And and if things are good a month or two down the road, then you'll talk about paperwork. And I was like, you can do that. And that, that kind of opened the world to me, to the idea that, that this is a business partner. And people change representation all the time. And it, it, it really is based a lot on whether you vibe with the person from a creative perspective, from a business perspective, from a productivity perspective, from a social perspective. I mean, there's a lot going on there. The only thing that I would add, Charles, is that um, what I'm learning is that it's much more attractive to an agent if an actor has things going on. So, um, when you asked, what are some things that you can do right now before you get here that to, to make, uh, you know, to hit the ground running and, 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 uh, you know, get agency interest it for, for me, it would be just get involved with a web series or write a short film or something, just get involved in making stuff so that when you go do to interview with these agencies, you can say that you're busy with things. You're a self-starter. They're not going to They're not gonna have the fear of signing an actor who's just going to sit on the roster and wait for a phone call. And um, I would also just start thinking about how you can position yourself in the market. So what kind of type are you? Like literally start asking around to people that you don't even know that well even. That's even better. And just ask them how they see you. Ask them for like, if you were to see me on a TV show, what would that be? And you're going to get things like The bartender, the personal trainer, the military guy, uh, the drug addict, you know, (laughs) don't take it personally. Just know that that's how they see you and start to um, position yourself and your photos and things like that in such a way that you're easily castable so that when you do go to meet with agents, you can say this is kind of the market that I think I fill I'm going to target casting directors with my CastingAbout.com membership uh, that are casting shows where I would be a good fit as this type. Plus, I've got my own thing going on over here. If you do those things, you will be light years ahead of any actor that walks through those doors and says, do you have anybody like me? You know, it's, you're doing your job as, as an actor um, who is taking home 90% of the pay when you book a gig with an agent. So you're going to make their job easy and they're going to be falling over themselves to work with you. Uh, that's my take on it, at least. So um, that was yeah,
0: perfect. That was beautifully, beautifully stated. Cool. So I hope that that helps,
1: Charles. Uh, please keep us posted on on how it goes. And remember, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So it may, you may go a few months without anything really happening on this front, but just know that you're planting seeds and that uh, you keep kind of plowing the field. Something's going to pop up pretty soon. So that's knowledge. <laughs> That's my two cents. Uh, we do have a great email from Adra as well as one from Stacy. But I'm going to vote to because Adra has got a great question about reels. I'm going to vote to to put to give these more focus on the next episode so we don't feel rushed. Okay. What do you think? Okay. Sounds good. Sweet. And the same with Stacy. Stacy's more is more of a, a comment or a story, but it's really great. I, I want to touch on that as well. So, uh, Adra and Stacy, thank you so much for writing in. Keep an ear out on the next episode. And for this episode, here we go with Dre Weber, uh, part one. I should say, guys, that we had the kitten in the room with us during the first part of this interview. So before Timmy, the kitten, fell asleep in my hand... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he was uh, jumping around on the couch and meowing. So you'll hear a little bit of that in the interview. And I think both of us were a little distracted by this little furball, just kind of like skittering around. So just keep that in mind as you listen and you hear weird sounds going on and little little chirps that that's what's going on.
0: <laughs> that's the best. Yeah. Oh, my God. It
1: was dang. cool. So uh, yeah, enjoy part one, guys. And we'll catch you on the other side. Hey everybody, this is Trev, and I am really, really excited and honored, uh, especially as a as a total P90X fanboy, as most of you guys know, uh, to be sitting here across from Drea Weber, who is <laughs> another really exciting multi-hyphenate. She's an aerialist, she's choreographed and or performed for people like Christina Aguilera, Pink, Madonna, Cher... Uh, basically, you, you name it. Michael Jackson. I think that this is it uh, tour you were you were working on. Uh, she's also a producer, an actress. Oh, and in P ninety X, of course. Super, super fit. So, uh, very excited to be here uh, with you, Drea. Thank you so much for taking the time.
2: Absolutely.
1: I, I, I wanna. I guess we like to start usually at the beginning and find out kind of where your journey started, where you grew up, and kind of what drew you into this lifestyle slash industry.
2: Yeah, I I was born in Michigan and my family moved to Indianapolis when I was four, I think, almost five. And then I lived there until I was 14, when we moved to Mexico City. And then I was there for three years, and then we moved back. And then I went to school in Indiana and in New York. Well, I guess I could say that the foundation of my life in retrospect, was very uh, colored by the fact that my father was a professional baseball player, and then an engineer, and my mother was an actress and singer. A double major. So I had sports and music and theater in my home from as early as I can remember. So a woman, my mom practicing scales, musicians coming in all over the place, very active. My father was very physical. He was always building things. And um, so I had this sort of soup of a lot of diversity, which ended up supporting this path that I've had, which for the first... Twenty years of my life didn't cross the physical disciplines and the and the sort of performing they were, disciplines. They were separate. Were they? they were, were they separate at odds tracks. with each other.
1: Did they feel at odds with each other? Uh,
2: only in that people would tell me that I wasn't that I did too much. That I needed to pick one or the other. And, yeah. but that I wouldn't be successful. Or when I would voice my frustration, it'd be like, well, you're doing too much. Mm. If you're going to be an actor, be an actor. If you're going to be a singer, be a singer. If you're going to be a a physical performer, if you're going to be a dancer, be a dancer. If you're going to be in musical theater, do musical theater. If you want to be in straight theater, do theater. If you want to do television and film, go to California. You know, all that chatter that you get from people.
1: Scattered focus equals scattered results kind of thing.
2: Which I always uh, sort of uh, pushed against because it didn't make sense to me because they all seemed like they were just facets of the same thing. When I was ten, I had a really clear decision that I wanted to be an actor. I remember being in a car with my mom, telling her I wanted to be an actor, and she was. She said, "Well, okay. Well, we'll uh, we'll take you to the agency, and you can audition for things." I started doing radio and uh, voiceover. I was a good cold reader. I had a voice that was kind of unusual, a little low, so I'd play voice. And then I did commercials, and then plays and musicals, and I went to performing arts high school. But during that time, I was a I was a gymnast first, and then I oh it, it and then I studied dance when I was offered a scholarship situation from thirteen to fifteen, and then we moved to Mexico, and then I stopped doing that, and I did track and field and also theater. But I was recruited to the national hurdling team in Mexico, so I competed on a really great high level in mexico
1: i remember i I read about that Yeah, Yeah. it was really it was really kind of funny how your wikipedia entry goes it's like this this and this oh and she competed for the mexican hurdling team or something
2: it's bizarre and lord knows that wikipedia thing is a conundrum because it's it's inaccurate it has the wrong place where i'm born it's 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 but you can't get at it i i can't get at it somebody from i've actually had a person a friend of mine who's in the press try to change some of the things that are wrong But she couldn't do it either. Really? It's a a faulty, uh, yeah. Faulty system. Faulty system. Uh, So then, only, it was only in the past few years that I started to realize that I had this really unusual background, which led to me being, things starting to be braidable and integratable in, like, The Gymnast, that film, getting to integrate acting and, and the aerial creation, doing. Little more theater that integrated, but specifically in choreographing for the pop world that that because my father was an engineer and I like tech and specs and and uh-huh. I really respect uh, rigors and the whole situation and the work it takes to set those shows up and break them down in a day, I had an acting teacher. I studied with Wynne Hanman for years in New York, mm-hmm. and it was definitely my best experience trying to become a mature performer. The way he would uh, help focus um, the object of doing something and and taking it to the writing or taking it to the core of why, when, what's happening, um, was true in is true in everything. So if I'm going to choreograph a song for a pop artist, what is the song's arc? What is the song about? Mm-hmm. So you, and you give him restrictions, and then what's the? So it's the text. It's the play. It's the writing. It's the It's the story within the story, the little micro story within the big story of the concert. And because I had that foundation, I think it really gave me a path for how to feel I could be creative in that world. Because a three-minute song is still a story and still has a beginning, middle, and an end and still has a context and still has a win.
1: So you've really kind of created the perfect amalgamation of disciplines in your career i mean aerial. i mean you've, you've obviously done a lot of stage work and mm-hmm. a lot of producing and writing and, and, and acting but the aerial choreography stuff really kind of brings it all together
2: yeah in, in a way that i never could have anticipated ever ever it's, it's only in hindsight that it that i go oh wow what a great tool for me to to be able to feel enthusiastic about it hmm. because hmm. that's really the key to it because everything's hard and everything's hard work and everything, you know, there's the problems in trying to figure it out. And if you want to be a performer in our country, it's incredibly challenging and we're not given tons of support. And so just figuring out how to live and have a career. And it's a huge percentage of what we have to figure out Yeah. if we say, I'm going to be a creative person. But if yeah. you, if, if your enthusiasm is there intact, if your creativity is intact, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. because it's your life. So that, I, I think that's been a really, that's, that's, I realize is really important is fighting to keep our creativity and spirit intact in mm-hmm. spite of how hard everything is. Mm-hmm. Cause everything's hard. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It can be an accountant, it's hard. It can be, you know, a barista and it's stinking hard, you know, yeah. it, all of it's
1: hard. How do you keep stay grounded with some of the kind of craziness that you run into with the personalities and the jobs and the ups and downs of this industry?
2: There's almost always something in any mix that's really exciting, you know. So say on one end of the spectrum, it's a perfect combination of artist and sensibility and support and song and inspiration, you know. And there have been a few of those where I just go, wow, and very aware that this is rare. So then on the other end of the spectrum, you feel like you're a mismatch with most of it. Hmm. Like Mm -hmm. maybe you don't vibe with the music. Maybe I don't understand the concept or it doesn't inspire me that way. But inevitably in those situations, the performers or the crew or Mm. the creative team is so inspiring that it's, it's really, I think, finding the part of it that is because there's always somebody who's working so hard or so talented and so inspiring. So, I think just shifting the focus is what what's important. Shifting the focus to what is inspiring about a situation. That's yeah.
1: powerful. To focus on that, on the positive and not the negative, is, is yeah. one of the kind of greatest tricks that we get to learn. I think Jeez. in this life. Yeah, it's, and, it is a tr- yeah. it's
2: a trick, and it's a pra- it's a trick. And what is it like? How to build some build habits that remind you to remember. <laughs> right. Right. <yeah. laughs> you know, or or uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly. But but it it. It's not a. It's not constant. I don't wake up with it. It's it's practice. This sucks. Okay, wait. All right, that person's awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we could spend more time with Ben today. Let's just go. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah.
1: So have you ever, did you ever have to have a, a a day job or, you know, some sort of kind of crappy gig that oh, just yeah. sucked the soul out of you? And, and then how did you deal with that before you kind of finally got momentum going?
2: When I lived in New York, I was, it was so I was going to school at Hunter College and I was... At various times, I was, a, I was a, a host at the Hard Rock Cafe. We used to affectionately refer to ourselves as Door Horse. And it was just when hard, the Hard Rock was bought by TGI Friday. So it had gone from this incredibly cool thing where it was this really fluid work zone where, and all the mythological, like, $100 bill tips mm, constantly. Mm-hmm. That had just passed, sadly. And it was trying to become more corporate. And it was, it was a little, there was still remnants of the kind of incredibly cool time when it first started and it was started by like rock and roll people so i was doing that and i was uh, i was waiting tables at another restaurant and i was and i coached gymnastics for years and years to put myself through school and to live and that was a that was a another great thing because trying to teach children how to understand something in gymnastics was a great exercise in just physics and and then you try to figure out how to language it so that the person understands how to connect it to their body. So if it's push off harder, push through your feet, push as hard as you can, jump as hard as you can, look for the balance beam, reach with your arms, whatever, any number of those things, a person going like, and you see their eyes kind of drifting, and then you say something, like make sure you see the balance beam before you put your hands. Like always see it first. And then someone goes, oh, okay, that I can do. And then you see they have something. To right. focus on, yeah. but that learning how to do that and see the connection was incredibly helpful.
1: So, so when did the um, transition? When did you move out to LA?
2: I moved to LA at the end of two thousand.
1: Oh, okay, so it was it was a little bit later. in your Yeah, life. yeah, okay. it was
2: later. And see, what did I do? I was doing theater regionally and um, a little bit in New York. And most of the theater I was doing in New York was sort of waiver. Equity waiver. Right. Uh, some of it, I had done a couple of off Broadway shows, and I'd done. I did a show at the Shakespeare Festival, which was like this big, you know, at the the summer at the Delacorte. Yeah, that was a huge goal accomplished for me. But you can't make any money. You can't live. Doing yeah, that. on that. Yeah. So I would. Uh, around when was it? I guess it was like mid ni- no early nineties. I was a founding member of a company called Anti-Gravity in New York that was a gymnastic dance company and did corporates. So I sort of did those things, but then aerials started to become popular and they added aerials to their vocabulary. And I was naturally suited to do aerials because I'd been a gymnast and I had also learned flying trapeze. I started doing that the year after I graduated uh, from Hunter. I, they started to hire me to do that, and and you make good money doing corporate gigs in that world. Yeah. So then yeah. Ariel started supporting theater for me, which is oh. amazing. So I do an aerial gig, like great, do a couple of those, and then I can do a play for three months.
1: You know that explains a lot, because our mutual friend Rose, yeah, um, she's she's a I think a founding member of Second Species, which is like a, a an aerialist kind of troupe. Yeah. And they're always doing like gigs for Microsoft, where they get hired to like you know basically rappel down the side of a building and like yeah. expose some massive banner or something yeah, for a, a yeah. product launch. And, and then, and then Rose would just like not work for like four months. I was like, what do you, how do, how do you do this? And then I, I put it together. I was <laughs> like, Oh, it's because these things pay bank. They do. And they must, because it's it's a highly specialized skill.
2: Yeah. So you do one gig for them and you make 1500, 2000 bucks where you would try, if you did even an off Broadway, fantastic show when I did, Like the highest profile off-Broadway show I did was a play called Childhood and Glenn Close was the star. I think four-person cast. I played her mother in flashback and it was like based on this, it was like this French play. It was super esoteric. I don't know. Did I take home like 350 bucks a week? Uh. And you're like, this is the top of what everybody's trying to do and I can't. Yeah. feed myself much less pay for a place to live so yeah those aerial gigs were were really great so wow. that and that's what it is and and but they're not you know and I'm sure Rose would say the same thing if you can get a balance of that and her company no doubt works on things that are very inspiring and fun and creative and and tries to create content that's exciting and I'm sure the work they do for the corporates is really fun mm-hmm. because it's based on the work that they've created. For themselves, because they are creative spirits and won't can't do anything else. So then they get to be paid every once in a while, and that's a great balance.
1: I love the theater work you've done. I saw a clip on YouTube um, where you were doing almost like an improv thing with the audience, and it was so much fun. You were yes. it, it, I was I really wished I was in that audience.
2: Oh, my brain has that's been a new thing. Like uh, I'm going to redo a production that I. Uh, wrote. A friend of mine conceived an idea, uh, Natalie Gautier, and she's got a little uh, studio, a lace studio in Culver City. And, and she conceived of an idea about eight years ago and invited me to perform in it and then asked me to uh, work on it with her. And so I've been writing that. I did like a page one rewrite of it from from the concept, which was great, but I wanted to weave more story and structure into it, which I love. This sort of circus cabaret story audience interactive form is so much fun Mm. Um, because the intimacy of, of a audience being so close to the physical performance that there's no question that it's real. And the human connection is so intense when someone's that close to you, 10 feet Mm -hmm. from somebody or four feet from somebody doing something extraordinary. And then because of my theatrical background, breaking that. Where it's not, I'm not like a Cirque du Soleil person painted like a Martian, where people go, Well, that's not a human being. Right. That's an extraordinary, that's a different species. That's not like me. But because I come from acting and because I happen to be able to do aerials, I can break it and be just a person, uh, somebody people identify with, a woman doing something, and then interact with them and then go in the air. And then people are like, Wait, but that's like, but that's. But that means I could do it. But the improv yeah. is that's a relatively new thing. It's so exhilarating yeah. not knowing how people are gonna respond. Yeah, and not knowing what you're gonna say next. No. I did a thing I wrote a thing, I did a show that Teatro Zanzani produced two years ago that was set during the prohibition in a speakeasy and you know, with gangsters and wanted to play on the whole Humphrey Bogart, you know, Bogie bacall dynamic for the for the leads and a sort of a um, a Fair to remember uh, plot point of, of a mistaken miss okay, missed great. meeting, and then uh-huh. the misunderstanding and all the crustiness about love, and yeah. and in that I had put a uh, for my character's opening number, I had put a chastity belt on that I had the key for. I think that's the one that's I saw. The one you that's the clip saw? Yes. I saw.
1: And you like went up to some young guy yes. in the group and, and yes. it was so fun to see the interplay between you
2: and the audience. It was so much fun. And you never know whether they're going to say yes or no, because basically it's like you <laughs> and a lot of them, it's like adrenaline, will kind of pop God. them out of the chair, but some yeah. people won't come. And I've tried like the really old guys and the young and every once in a while, a woman will jump up and it's like, great, fine. Right. See what happens with that. And, uh, but one of the most outrageous was when I was sort of pointing into a distance, the guy wouldn't come up, and all these fingers were pointing at someone at a table. And I was like, all right, well, you. And the guy came up, and it was like a 15 year old boy. So it was so wrong. (laughs) Because I'm, then I'm going to give him the key and ask him to open a lock that's right at my, yeah, it's right in your crotch. Right at my crotch. And it's like, (laughs) open my heart, you know, and people would invariably like poke my chest. I'm like, um <laughs> oh it's so fun. So fun. That's anyway, awesome. yeah, so I it's a it's a beautiful balance and the people that I've seen who are the best at it are so extraordinary. I've gotten to work with two people who are sort of founding comics and have been doing these this Teatro Zanzani form for one for fifteen mm-hmm. years and one for mm-hmm. thirteen years. Kevin Kent and Frank Ferrante. And they do their whole sets are based purely on interaction. The balance that they can that they maintain of fucking with people, but making them feel good is so mind blowing. And there's a, there's a real art to it and learning it is, is trying to learn. It's amazing. I love it. I love it. It's, yeah. it's really, it's like the, it's like crack, you know, performing is great, but then if you add that element of, I don't know what the hell's going to happen, but it might be, might just blow the, Room open.
1: That that brings to mind a kind of a deep question that I want to ask you. Why do you think that some people are able to go after something as as daunting and quote unquote impossible as a career in the entertainment industry or as a career as, as an artist, and then and and then create it and it happens, and other people just struggle and struggle and struggle.
2: I wish I knew the answer. Um, I know people who work so hard and are so talented and just have to fight the sort of frustration of feeling like i've been doing this so long and working so hard and you know they know they're doing the best work they can and they know that they get positive response yet the opportunities just don't seem to present themselves mm-hmm. and uh, it is also perspective and point of view because i my first aim was to purely do theater and then act and act and and more specifically in the sort of what we would call the classics And I've been able to do those shows, but not at the level that I wanted to. But if I make that my focus, then I'm done. Then it's all over. So I think that I could either live in the disappointment of what I thought I was aiming toward, or I can look for the constant opportunities to... Invent for myself what I want to do, and that's actually been a really that was a big turning point. And it started when Ned and I decided to he Ned Farr uh, directed yeah. uh, and wrote the Gymnast and a Marine story, mm-hmm. and four short films that we worked on together. And he had been a film major, mm-hmm. and when we met, we were just like movie, movie, movies, movies, movies. But it was right before it had become digital, and or that had opened up, and and then it did become. A question of, well, okay, now it's not money anymore. Now it's, can you do something good? Are you are you going to do it? So we we sort of had this plan. We'd just write, uh, we'd do short films until we felt like we could do a feature film without hogging up too much. Right. Um, and we, we, that was how we got to doing The Gymnast. And The Gymnast and all of our short films and The Gymnast and A Marine Story were, were resource-based films. Where they're character driven, and we used the resources at hand. To, yeah. In the gymnast, we used aerials as a uh, to add production value to what would otherwise just be a you know purely character driven, living like room drama small. kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. a Marine story was uh, slightly different. Once we got into the idea of doing something about Don't Ask, Don't Tell, it became too compelling to not do because the stories were so devastating. Um, and then it just felt like a uh, uh, really an obligation yeah and, it, and then it so it took itself from there but but they all had to be very like low budget things but it, it then it it is well do it do it and then that was spirit went on to me writing the live shows because I was so excited about this form but I could see that what wasn't being done was trying to weave a narrative structure. Because the, into the
1: live shows, into
2: the live shows, yeah. Because mm-hmm. they're tradi- traditionally and most the simplest form is a variety show form. Right. A more complex form is to put it in a time and a place. A more complex form of that is to actually try to weave narrative and follow. Right. And then if it's circus performers who can who can give a narrative line and who can't, who can mm. who can speak, who can't, who, who can who sing, who, sing can't? who can sing and dance <laughs> uh-huh. and act. Yeah, yeah. and and yeah. and how do you how do you. Take that puzzle and form it. Um, But usually the leads and the speaking clowns and the uh, comics come from theater background. So you can build a lot on that. But that became really fascinating to me because it's a three-hour evening during which there is probably an hour of opportunity for improv, whether it's center stage or not, where every single character can go out and live and basically develop content for their character in one on one interaction at the tables, where at one so table, cool. you'll tell it's so sneaking cool. You can't even believe it. When I was the first show I did, I played Cleopatra, and I had done Shaw's I saw Caesar in Cleopatra too somewhere. You,
1: yeah. I think on your Facebook page or something. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah.
2: So when I was 20, I did the, you know, this sort of highfalutin, very language based uh, political idea of, you know, it being Shaw, Caesar being his sort of social um, mouthpiece, and, and, and Cleopatra in that show being. Very unformed and and becomes a student of Caesar until she can become a queen herself, so she sort of steps into her role as a queen in this ridiculous, beautiful cabaret form. Cleopatra comes out of a sarcophagus and she's fully formed. She's ready to take over the world just like she did in her own life and she's looking for Caesar and it's the wrong guy and he's sort of this clown but he seems mm-hmm. to be in charge of the place so she... Wasn't that a short film you did as well? Looking for Caesar? Wasn't that... Oh, I uh, did something where you were like a stagehand? Oh or, yeah, yeah. I did a couple shorts like, this past year. That's right. The, where the character Caesar is... Yeah, we were playing with a little short form. you were like, looking form. for him. And, yes. Yeah. 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 So then I had all this research as Cleopatra and but it's a comic mostly humorous form but i would inter- i would do improv at the tables using true historical uh you know so i'd talk about being married to my brother and how he tried to kill me so i had to kill him but that's our thing we kill each other you know it's like because we have to intermarry in the families and right. people at the tables would just be like what the fuck <laughs> Or uh yeah. what else I talk about? The languages that I spoke, all the languages or why it was important to me to learn the language of my people and but usually it would end up because Cleopatra was really she was the richest woman in the world, the most powerful woman in the world. And she she raised Egypt was already a power, but she, through her strategic um, relationships with Caesar and Mark Anthony and and not just them, just she she built the empire. She mm. was a wildly dominant force. So, to take the, the truth about, about her and put it in this comic form gave so much incredible material to the one on one interaction. And then, just being a, a power, a consumer. So, I would get people to feed me their food. Yes. I would uh, stand on the table yeah. because they, you know, I'd climb a table to, to kiss somebody because it was their birthday. Any number of... I had complete free reign and license and power because of who the character was. The most important thing to me is feeling um, inspired. Mm. And Mm. that's the thing to, to take care of. When I am not making enough money to support life, that's a really important thing to circle back to. Well, okay, I'm not making money, so write something. Create something.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I was thinking, Trev, I'm, I, I forgot to mention this. There's a bit of a where are they now aspect with our podcast now with the P90X. Of the, like, two of the people come on our podcast, I met a third person. From the original, the original P ninety X. Yeah, from, uh, who did who did you
1: meet from the original? P ninety X.
0: Maureen, German potato soup. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I forgot that she
1: was in your uh, one of your small groups at, uh, yes. at MITT Basic. Yeah, and you know what? What I wanted to just, just touch on briefly because uh, in the last episode with um, with Chris Gordon and Randall, Chris talked about how he felt like it's really important to just focus on one thing. That uh, and, and I commented on it as well, that when you have a lot of things going on and you're you're doing, you know, the music thing and you're doing the the writing thing and you're doing, you know, you're going to play in a band and you're going to, um, you know, have a cooking show and you're going to do this and that, that it gets a little overwhelming for people. And he really feels it's, just, it's best to just focus on one thing. And then I sit down with somebody like Drea and she says, you know, that that never made sense to her, that she really feels like she shouldn't have to limit herself. Uh, and just focus on one thing, that she can kind of do everything. And indeed, she has. She's she's made a great life for herself doing many, many things in many different disciplines. So that might be a little confusing and off-putting to some people. And I just want to kind of say I see both sides of the argument, and I think they're both valid, and I think it depends on the individual. And I find uh, that actually from day to day, one of them works better for me than the other, and they're often opposite at several times throughout the week. So it's a journey, and it's a balance, and it's something that you kind of ebb and flow with. Um, but I just wanted to kind of bring that up because I'm sure at least a few people heard that and were like, Wait a second. Which which <laughs> one should I do? That's awesome. Yeah. I think
0: it's great. I think it's great that you mention it, bring it up, and and open up the discussion. So what's your pick of the week? Um, my pick of the week I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast before, but I don't think it's been my pick of the week for sure. But my pick of the week is very cool. It's actually a blog turned book called Humans of New York. The website is humansofnewyork.com. You can also like them on Facebook, but it's just this, um, oh man, his name just escaped me, but it's this photographer who literally walks around the city of New York with a DSLR and he takes pictures of people but what's cool about it is he also talks to them and finds out a little bit about their story and they always open up to him the most insane incredible things about their about their lives their personal lives their emotional state of being their history their upbringing it's so fascinating because they're they're not celebrities they're just people who happen to occupy this particular city and it really makes you think about or it makes me think about everyone's story when you walk around like especially now that i am literally walking around and getting on and off subways and 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 i'm in close proximity with hundreds if not thousands of people every single day everyone has everyone has something going on everyone has a history everyone has and it 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 actually makes me not that I'm an asshole, generally. Well, I'll let other people answer that question, but it makes me much more apt to be kind. Just go, just go around thinking like I don't. I have no idea what your story is. N- not only will I consciously, which I do anyway, reserve judgment, but it's not. It's going beyond that. It's I'm going to smile at you, and I'm going to say hello to you, and I'm you know. I'm going to do my best to increase the sum total of love in the world. This blog was turned into into a book, so I liked him on Facebook, and now I look at every single post. You
1: know, especially
0: so cool. now that I recognize the environments where the pictures are being taken, because I'm here. I love this, man. I have i
1: heard about this blog years ago but i haven't revisited it and i i can only imagine how powerful it must be for you to now be in the city and go through this and it really is it's just a great study really in like uh human nature and it, it does bring out the compassionate side of people doesn't it yeah i some of you know advice that i got when i was a lot younger that i'll never forget was uh be nice to everyone because you never know what they're going through and this this website is kind of like a it's kind of like a, that idea just personified or manifested.
0: I, I would recommend it for anyone, no matter yeah. where you
1: live or. And what a, yeah. And what a great way to feed your, uh, you know, your artistic yeah. side as it were.
0: Yeah. Thank, thank you for saying that too. Cause that's the other thing that I wanted to mention, especially for our listeners and the fact that we focus a lot on DIY stuff here on the podcast what a brilliant idea! This guy, like, I mean, yeah, he probably has a DSLR, but everyone has a camera on their phone or whatever. Like, he literally just started taking pictures of the people in his city, and it's become this massive thing. And he probably makes money off of the advertisements on on the site, or, 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 you know, of course, sales from the book or whatever. Like, he's probably making a living doing what he loves now, like taking photographs and meeting people, and and it was just this this simple idea. And it just reminds me of the DIY stuff we talk about the on the podcast and, and encouraging our listeners to just begin. Yeah. As your, was it your grandma? My grandma say? says
1: that, yeah, just begin. Yeah. Just begin. Yeah. And you know what's cool too is that like this, some of these stories are really awesome on here. Like they're just, it's just fascinating to see a photo and then to hear in this person's word what they're going through. So it's almost like if you're looking for a short film idea or a monologue idea or anything like that. What better place to go for source material?
0: Oh my gosh, yeah. I didn't even even think about the fact that it's a goldmine for writers.
1: Awesome, dude. What a kick-ass pick of the week. So uh, my pick of the week is a book called The Fast Diet. I read it. I finished it this week. And it's about intermittent fasting, which is this new thing that I've kind of been hearing about for the past few years, and it's something I thought I'd just read more about and uh, give it a try. So it's based on the idea that uh, for hundreds of thousands of years, humans were hunter gatherers and we didn't eat all the time. There were many periods of time where we'd go a few days without eating anything. And so, um, contrary to many popular kind of current day myth or beliefs about health and fitness, uh, grazing, you know, eating every two to three hours, constantly keeping your stomach full, is not. They're finding the science is finding is not necessarily the best thing. And without going too deep into it here's here's my summary of what the book kind of talks about. We basically have two kinds of cells in our body. We have healthy cells and damaged cells. And when we're co- and eating food during the day, like digesting food and breaking it down, is one of the most demanding resource intensive things that our body does. Um, in its entire existence is breaking down food and getting those nutrients out to, to the cells and whatnot. And so what they're finding is that when you take time to basically give your body a chance to cleanse itself by fasting, and there's a couple different, you know, ways to do this, but what they kind of settled on is the optimum way is to to take two non-consecutive days a week and only eat between five and 600 calories. So about 20 to 25% of your normal intake. On those days. So, what they're finding is that when you do this, the healthy cells in your body kind of hibernate. They go into sleep mode, which gives the damaged cells a chance to use the resources the healthy cells were using or use the resources that your body would usually put towards food digestion and repair those damaged cells. And the thinking is that in days of yore, when we were sitting around without food, it made a lot of sense for our body to repair the damaged cells so that we could go out and find more food, even if we hadn't had any sort of caloric intake for a little while. So, you know, there's a lot of science in the book and it talks about, you know, all the hormones that kind of your body releases in response to being kind of deprived. That's not the right word, but, um, you know, being deprived of calories for a short amount of time. And, uh, it's got a host of benefits. I mean, human growth hormone release, um, there's uh, decreased inflammation, it, it, lots of crazy stuff. So yesterday was my first like serious attempt, and it's hard. It's a head game, you know. But um, not only am I cutting my grocery bill basically by about twenty percent, I, I felt pretty good most of the day. As long as you drink a lot of water and keep yourself busy, it's not it's not too bad. They say to give it about two months before it really uh, your body really learns how to how to handle what's going on. So uh, yeah, it's really, it's really, really interesting. And there's not a lot of human studies yet. Most of the studies have been done on mice and animals and things, but the studies they had done on humans, from what I read in the book, um, there was one or two studies they did with some European like soccer athletes or something. And they found that these guys and, and girls could still perform at a hundred percent of their potential for up to 72 hours without food. And after about that 72-hour mark, that's when their performance started to decrease because they were fatigued and their body wasn't getting fed. But up until then, even though they were hungry and maybe a little bit irritable um, because they hadn't gotten used to the idea, their body hadn't kind of learned to handle it yet, they were still able to run a 100-yard dash in the same amount of time that they could if they were fully fed. So it's it's really interesting what's, what's kind of coming out of the community. And um, this book really sold me on the idea of it. So... It's called the fast diet. It's by uh, Dr. Michael Mosley. Yeah, it's a fascinating read.
0: It just sounds so like counter to what you you know three squares a day and yeah yeah yada, yada. but so much of what we've been learning recently is is people trying to get back to prehistoric ways of going about our daily lives. Yeah, everything's so you know you, you. there was never a time in human history where you could walk down to the corner and be at a grocery store where they brought all this food to this market, and you, all you had to do was pay for it and take it home.
1: We'll have to see how it goes. I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to report on it. You know, like I, I, try, I made a few attempts earlier in the in the month or later in last month, I guess now, uh, and it was really hard. I couldn't quite make it, but yesterday I gave it like a concerted effort and was ready, was prepared for what I knew was going to be coming. And it's, you know, it's really not that bad. Like, I think the first couple times you're like, oh, my God, like, I can't look at food. I'm so hungry. This is miserable. Why am I doing this to myself? Is, is this even healthy? But after you get your head around it, it's it's pretty cool. So then we also yeah. have a, a pick of the week from uh, Jay from South Florida. He writes in and says basically his pick is the Dar- Darjeeling Limited. But from the sound of his email, it sounded more like his pick is just Wes Anderson, the filmmaker, <laughs> more than anything. And I have to admit, I haven't actually seen any Wes Anderson films. Have you? I have.
0: I, I'm 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 a fan. It's it, he's really quirky and weird and specific. All of his stuff is stylistic, and it's his style. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about him. Is if you see a Wes Anderson film, you know it's a Wes Anderson film. There are super talented directors who can handle any material and 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 make beautiful smart choices and and work with their cinematographer or director of photography to 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 to, ma- to make the best film but there are very few filmmakers out there who when you see their movie you go oh i kn- i know exactly who that director is you know yeah. and he and he's and he's one of them jay i guess went and saw his newest film grand budapest hotel and then thought you know what i'm gonna Right into the podcast and say that my pick my listener pick of the week is uh darjeeling limited which is still his his favorite wes anderson
1: yeah i might actually pick one of those movies up today and just watch it i got some time so um thank you jay in Dude, advance yeah thank you jay in advance for uh, for sending that in because i you know my roommate has uh, life aquatic i think is another one mm-hmm. and then there's uh whatever that one with bruce willis and ed norton was about the boy scouts at the girl scouts I just, Moonrise Kingdom. I
0: just, there it is. Yeah, Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. I, I just watched that one um, a, a couple weeks ago. It's really good. Yeah. And the best
1: part is, I can take time to watch a movie today and call it Research and Development. So, boom. Our patron of the week this week is Tara Patterson, who's been with us since pretty much the very beginning. Um, she and she's is. been supporting us on a monthly basis God, for years now. So, um, we've we really wanted to give her a shout out. She wrote in a, a, almost like a year ago now saying that she kind of had found a really great niche for herself in costume design so that she's actually focusing less on the performance thing and really found the perfect kind of blend of all her passions in wardrobe and costume design. So, um, i think it's really cool you can find out more about her on our website we'll have a little blurb featured in the episode notes for this episode and we've also got uh, her info on our patron page so make sure you guys check it out her name's tara patterson she rocks really hard and thank you tara for your ongoing support it means the world to us that's it that, that's it then so um you guys know how to get in touch with and support the podcast we don't need to run down that right now we're already running long nope Um, but, uh, suffice to say, you can be in touch with us and support us financially just by going to our website, insideactingpodcast.com. Uh, that's it then. So for our production coordinator, Jen Levin, our technical producer, Cesar Camino, and all our patrons, my name is Trevor
0: Algott. And I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, avoid all mechanical farts.
1: This episode of Inside Acting has been brought to you in part by Rehearsal 2, the app for actors. Want to learn your lines fast? Be off book for auditions? Explore your characters and make stronger choices? There's an app for that, Rehearsal 2. Download it now at RehearsalTheApp.com download. That's RehearsalTheApp.com slash download.